our BRDs for helping us to reimagine uh, the future, right? And we have a, a number of roles that I don't think any one of us could say that we know what those roles will do, will be, right? Or how this work will evolve over time. But certainly I think that the BRGs are getting involved with a lot of efforts that over time as that continues to, to uh, be the driving force in the discussion within the organization, they will be poised to add value there and help us to re-engineer re who we will be and what their roles will be in the near future. That's Andres Gonzalez, Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Friedert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin. Friedert's values, among other things, include dignity and respect, creating an inclusive and compassionate environment for all people. Andres is my guest for this episode of ERG Power Talk. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. How are you today, Andres? I am doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Likewise, likewise. I'm looking forward here to our, to our conversation this afternoon. So here's my first question for you. You know, I looked at, I took a deep dive into your LinkedIn profile just to get a little bit of a look at some of the things that you've done. I've known you for quite a number of years now, but I wanted to get a little more of a, of a background. And I just found some interesting stuff there. In fact, uh, stuff that I didn't know. Like, for example, I didn't know that you were an executive director with the Urban Minority Alcoholism Drug Abuse Outreach Project. And it seems like that's very early in your career. So I'd love to hear you know, how from there, you know, you kind of navigated your way to what you're doing today? Uh, well, great question. And uh, thanks for doing all the research, right? That's the beauty of technology and all the stuff that we have out there, right? That we cannot now pull back necessarily. But no, I appreciate the question, Joe. And, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of the things that I uh, did early in my career really became foundational um, and provided great insights in terms of my career into the role that I hold today as the Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer. So hopefully I will be able to connect there the thread. So, you know, at Hispanic Umadab, I started as a what we used to call a prevention specialist. So going into the schools and talking to the kids about life skills, right? I mean, you know, um, you know how to handle peer pressure and bullying, right? And, and really then uh, working around building their self-esteem. So hopefully they would be able to avoid, right, um, certain situations that could lead to either joining gangs or ultimately getting involved with drugs and alcohol um, and or a teenage pregnancy, which was, uh, you know, a hot issue and continues to be a hot issue and button in, in, in our community as a whole. And so uh, certainly that gave me a great insight as I started and I was very young I started actually working for Humadub when I was, actually, I think I was 19 years old. So fairly young. And I remember actually, Joe, the executive director of the organization at the time and founder said, there's something about you, kid, that I like. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take actually a chance on you. And so I knew coming in that uh, certainly he was giving me a great opportunity and he took me under his wing. And that's honestly, truly where I learned the value of even having a mentor originally. So I started there. And then over the years, as I was actually in college and pursuing my degree in biology, which is actually what I wanted to do and become a physician, I ended up falling in love with the field with, uh, you know, making a difference. And I used to say this, and I still mean it that I think it was a great honor and privilege that I was able to work in my own community in my own language, and get paid for it. And I used to say, what a great privilege and honor, right? But it certainly came with a lot of accountability as well. And that gave me a great insight around cultural competence and development, development uh, of curriculums 
that would truly meet the needs, right, of our communities, that we would be meeting them where they were at. And so little did I know that that was actually called cultural competence, that that's what we're doing. But that was really foundational uh, in, my, in my career and I think in my pathway to where it landed me, right, uh, over the years. And uh, the other point that I want to make about that is that it also gave me an opportunity to understand the true issues in our community, the pulse, right, and how to engage our community, our clientele authentically, right, uh, with a lot of cultural proximity to co-create solutions that met the needs of the community. And that is certainly something that still to this day, uh, whether we're talking about BRGs or whether we're talking about, you know, creating a DNA strategy, is why certainly collaboration, it's so foundational uh, in the work that we do, and certainly for me as a leader. Uh, if we don't do that, then we're creating things in a vacuum, right? And so a lot of those early on opportunities gave me that insight or gave me the insights that certainly I still use as part of my secret sauce to get folks invo involved, to create ambassadors, and certainly ultimately that lead to the right strategy with the right objectives and, and tactics to be implemented. Great story. It's interesting how those early experiences sometimes shape the path a little bit. And we start out on one path and then we sort of experientially grow and develop and we end up doing something that excites us and we're passionate about that's kind of different. You mentioned something about uh, ambassadors and other people that you engage to do the work that you do. And of course, among those people that you engage are the people that lead the BRGs, the people that are uh, leading those groups, running those groups, and the people that are members within those groups. How do you see those groups playing a role in the strategy that you have for inclusion and diversity within your organization? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and, and I will say that my answer here has evolved over the years, uh, Joe. I think originally, I used to think that BRGs are really tactical or operational in their approach. And certainly that is the case to some extent, but they're also strategic thinkers. Uh, and that's the piece that I think in the evolution of my own journey, and certainly in terms of the insights that I have gained and what I have seen as true BRGs, right? Business research groups and how they provide intelligence to the organization, how they engage authentically our leaders to educate them, to really make sure that they are co-creating the right solutions, there's also that piece of strategic navigation and thinkers. And so I think for us at Freighter, the way and the model that we have created is one where our BRGs are both internal and external ambassadors. You know, they internally, um, you know, certainly drive um, a strategy that provides a value proposition for all of our members. You know, it's about getting them engaged uh, it's about, you know, and so I oftentimes will say that BRGs are, a, are truly a source of engagement. And it is true. When we do our step engagement, uh, you know, scores or, or we compare our scores um, and we stratify the data, we find out that BRG leaders tend to be uh, or have higher engagement scores than your typical or your average employee. Uh, they also tend to uh, be a great, you know, provide a forum for employees to come in, right, to add their thought leadership, provide insights that then could, you know, lead to great transformational efforts within the organization, whether we're talking about workplace or in terms of marketplace and community. And so it's truly a great opportunity to get folks involved, uh, both internally and externally. And I think, you know, later on, I know we're going to get to some of the, uh, the impact um, or the efforts that the BRGs actually have created or, you know, what they've led at Freighter. But certainly there's, there's that element of getting folks involved, giving them a forum uh, to come together to provide those insights that ultimately actually will showcase their skill sets and really position them for other career opportunities within the, uh, within the organization. And ultimately they become ambassadors within their communities, right? I mean, and there's no better uh, marketing, uh, I think, effort than the word of mouth and from one employee within a committee saying to others, listen, let me tell you what Freighter has done for me and what it could do for you as well. And so that's the power uh, I think that BRGs really have uh, within our organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And let's go, let's go directly there. You were kind of going in that direction and, and you stopped a little bit, but let's, let's kind of yeah. dive into what are some of the impactful things that some of these BRGs have done uh, for your organization? 
Yeah, so I'll give you a couple of examples here. And I'll start with, you know, we have three BRGs that we launched uh, at, at Freighter. The first one is our LGBTQ uh, a, a, a plus. So, you know, we also had allies there as well. And I think that that's an important element for all of our BRG, but, but certainly for the LGBTQ uh, plus community. And that particular group about two years ago, even before the formation, the true, uh, I think, launch of the group, we had already had a group that kind of uh, had coalesced and galvanized, and they were working towards the creation of the BRG. And as that, that actually effort was actually underway, we got wind of a particular effort uh, from the clinical enterprise where we're looking at possibly becoming first to market on, on the creation and launch of a LGBT-centric clinic. And the uh, BRG became catalytic, not only in terms of engaging the leadership there, but really educating them about things that really matter, uh, both from in terms of the staff, right? You know, we needed to have staff that perhaps mirror the communities that it was going to serve, but certainly that they would be culturally competent, right? As they were dealing, especially with the transgender population that is still fairly new, for many of us in, in the healthcare setting, and yet it would have profound impact, right, on our ability to serve them effectively. And quite frankly, if we don't do it well, it could ultimately lead to uh, certainly um, other, um, you know, uh, difficult uh, or um, could cost them their lives, quite frankly. I mean, depending on whether we, we understand, right, whether it's a trans men or trans women, what type, for example, prime example, are we using the right ranges from a lab perspective to analyze right those those samples that have been taken from that particular individual what type of routine checkups will that patient need right whether it's a transgender male but still has right um you know uh female genitalia um and and organs you know and those are the type of things that sometimes we don't think through effectively and that was really the level of thoughtfulness that the brg brought and, and certainly in terms of the marketing in the community, what type of service lines or services we needed to create. And that really led to the creation. And actually, I just got an email yesterday from one of our providers there. So year in, we have actually been able to gain over 450 new patients into our system. We have generated over $750,000 in that clinic. Again, you know, so when you start looking at the metrics that really matter, to the organization, we're bringing new patients into our platform. We're uh, obviously uh, gaining re new revenues, and we're penetrating a market that no one else has actually identified as a priority. And for us, every single community matters. Every single patient matters. And so this really has become a competitive advantage for us uh, within our market. And that's in a hyper-competitive uh, market as we find ourselves uh, that is a competitive advantage that we have over anyone else. So that would be a prime example of something that we're doing uh, here and something that the BRG led, quite frankly, Joe. The other one quickly here is around our engagement and our cultural transformation effort uh, that is aligned to one of our values of dignity and respect. And the Black BRG, our African-American and Black BRG group, really has led the way in terms of that particular effort as we have taken a deeper dive in the last two years and stratifying the data uh, from our employee engagement survey, uh, we have found, and actually, and this is also affirmed by the verbatims that we received, that they're having a very distinctive and not good uh, employee experience. And a lot of that, really, as we've taken the deeper dive, we're finding out that a lot of our, you know, the bulk of, of that uh, particular uh, diverse community within Freighter is that a frontline uh, area. So, you know, patient transport, environmental services, food and nutrition. And so they, they're not getting the respect from other clinical um, departments, i.e. maybe nursing, maybe some physicians, and yet they're part of that cross-functional team. And they play probably one of the most critical roles. They're the face of the organization, one that interfaces with the patients all the time. They actually are responsible for making sure the facility is clean, right? So the patient is not acquiring a hospital, um, obviously infection, and that's really critical for us. And yet they're not being valued for that. And so that really led us to a new uh, effort that is really tied to living up to our value of dignity and respect. And it has been the African-American 
Black BRG, who has led the way in partnership with our chief human resources officer, who happens to be their executive sponsor. So great connection there. And they have really become catalytic on creating that next effort that I think it's going to position us um, for success as it, as it, as it um, really impacts not only bringing folks, right? So not only hiring them, but more importantly to retaining and folks to, being, to feeling valued and heard and that the organization obviously is willing to uh, invest in their future uh, careers. So it is something that it's uh, paramount to us. Um, and the third one is the military veteran BRG. And we certainly, I, I think they've done a number of key things externally um, in terms of furthering or strengthening uh, partnerships that are vital to us, including, by the way, one with the veteran chamber here that now has led to the creation. And they're the ones who are really taking the lead on our supply diversity efforts and really now identifying veteran-owned businesses, bringing them to the uh, to the organization, to our awareness, and really working with supply chain um, as, as, as a connector, right, to those businesses. So again, you know, to my point earlier about internal and external ambassadors, that's really the power that this BRGs have. And, you know, they're doing it because they care, right? They're part of the organization. And they want to make sure that Freighter is positioned yep. for success. So it's a win-win all around it for us. You know, great stories, and having known you for a while now, I know that that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the stories that you can share. So I think that that kind of tees up almost this other question because you've had sort of that vast experience with a lot of different BRGs that have had a lot of positive impact, and that is, what do you think is the secret sauce? What do you think is, what are those elements that make a BRG really effective what are some of the components that they bring to bear uh yeah yeah. what are those from your yeah great question i i will say it starts with you know i typically start with the the uh you know the three f's that you want to avoid as a brg which is the fun foot and flags and my point in saying that joe as as you smile and i know that they that uh you know you agree and will appreciate this as a chief diversity (laughs) officer is the fact that it has to be aligned to strategy you know our brgs Truly, if you are a business research group, even the name of the group, right, dictates what you should be doing for the organization, right, how you should be adding value. And so for me and for us at Freighter, and again, in every other position that I've held that I've been really honored and privileged to, uh, to hold, it has to be aligned to strategy. Uh, the BRGs uh, have to understand what that overall strategy is, overarching DNI strategy, and more importantly, the organizational strategy. Um, and, and so we have been thoughtful about creating a process where even the formulation or the existence of this BRGs has to go through an application process. They get approved. And then if they are approved, then they work on a particular business plan. So that becomes their work plan. And it's all, again, tied back to very specific objectives and tactics that we're driving as an organization. If that mm-hmm. is not the way in which you're doing it, then I feel that you're allowing the BRGs, right, to to perhaps go in the wrong direction or then start taking on things that are not really value added to the organization. And so for me, those are some of the factors that become part of the secret sauce. The other piece is making sure that there's also a what's in it for me as a BRG member or leader. And so we've been also very thoughtful about aligning them to our talent management strategy, right? Our BRGs are certainly, especially the leadership, they are um, aligned to our succession planning strategy there. So certainly this is an opportunity for you to skills, uh, to showcase your skill sets uh, and your abilities. And if you do that well, then there's no guaranteed, of course, but you know, you're going to be on that short list of leaders for promotional opportunities, right? And, and then the third piece that I'll mention as well is we've been really thoughtful about implementing an ERG agreement. And we have the same thing, by the way, for the executive sponsor. And the ERG agreement does fundamentally three things. Number one is they, um, their time is actually valued. And this is something that our CEO has been very thoughtful about to the point that we had to create a BRG policy where we delineated what are the activities that BRG, BRGs should be involved with, right, and, and should be leading. What are some of those that they should not be involved with? Um, you know, is their time protected? And in our case, yeah. You know, your time is valued because you're working on organizational goals and objectives, right? Uh, Furthering those. 
So certainly we allow folks to work during the day on their BRG related matters. Um, and so you get your time protected by your one up. That's the first one. Two is you get credit for it in your performance appraisal. You know, you should be getting credit for the work uh, that you're leading uh, within the BRGs. And thirdly, there's an acknowledgement from the organization and the Office of Diversity in partnership with organizational learning and development that we're going to actually further invest in your career, right, in your development, because we understand that you are the future leaders of the organization, the executive sponsor. We want to make sure that you are providing thought leadership and guidance to the BRG, ensuring that the BRGs are connecting the dots, right, to the strategic objectives that are critical for them, to is uh, providing their talents as well. Thirdly, that they have some skin in the game, as I like to say. They have to provide some investment as well for the BRG. Excellent answer. I tell you, you packed a lot of information into that one answer. I mean, a couple of things that I heard was that I, I think that basically what I'm hearing is these ERGs or BRGs have some flexibility in what they do, obviously, in the areas that they focus on, but you've got some guardrails up in terms of, of, of providing direction, support, and so forth. So there's what I call sort of this balance, autonomy, and structure right between between you and the uh, and and the brgs and right. then and and then there's the uh I mean, clearly there's an investment in the people that are in the BRGs themselves, which right. again is another thing because it answers that with them. What's in it for me, for them as well? So I, I love all that. Uh, I think you and I are sort of on the same page on a lot of those things in terms of those being important. Let me ask you this. How important is the role of the BRG leader to the success of a BRG? And, and what do you do relative to picking people for those roles as well as preparing them to execute those roles? Yeah, that, that's, that's a, uh, you know, a great question. And I will tell you, Joe, for us, again, we have been pretty thoughtful about um, you know, creating a process and a practice around that. So for our three BRGs, um, you know, we certainly allowed folks to raise their hands if they wanted to. And we also had uh, a number of leaders, especially executive sponsors, who had already been, um, you know, assigned and um, and identified for the BRGs to also weigh in and folks who they thought would be great leaders. Ultimately, the process that we followed, whether you raised your hand hands or whether you were um, identified through a particular process here, is that a uh, you needed to actually go back to your one up right and have the discussion and whether you could serve we also um and we told them and that was actually part of the process and we delineated that and it was bolded um that you had to be in good standing within the organization right if you are in corrective um action you should not be uh you know serving um as a brg leader right that that's not good for you and it's not good for us because more than likely you're going to be spending time here and not in your day-to-day -day job and it's going to lead uh, for other problems. And I've seen that in, in you know, in past, in past lives. So, so certainly we, we identified those folks. We made sure that they were vetted by HR, that they had the approval from their one-ups. And then that's when then we initiated or allowed them to come into the process at that point. And then we um, interviewed those individuals. And actually as part of our policy, we had a, we have a BRG oversight committee at Freighter, and that BRG oversight is comprised of the VP of HR operations. So she's the, the number two in HR uh, in partnership with me. So we're the two uh, leaders uh, and the co-functions that, that guide that oversight committee. And then we have one individual from organizational learning and development, and we have someone from my team as well, uh, Sherry Tran, uh, who actually leads and oversees our BRGs. And so the four of us are the oversight committee. Ultimately, our governance council is the diversity council that our CEO chairs. And so we're able to certainly identify those. The, the executive sponsors were part of the interview process. And based on the interviews and that particular process, the folks emerged in terms of, you know, the top three. And then we looked at their skill sets, and that was part of what we were teasing out during the interviews, what role they could actually play. And that was part of the application process. So we even asked them, you know, are you particularly uh, interested in just the chair, or are you open to the vice chair or even the secretary position, right? So we did that very thoughtfully. And then once individuals were selected, 
we, uh, as part of the ERG agreement, we ask their one-up, so their managers, to work and build this as part of their individualized development plan, which is part of that third goal that I talked about earlier, to ensure that they will get further development as part of this effort. So, so it is something that we have done. I think, honestly, it has worked well for us. It's probably kind of the third version and enhancement that I've done in terms of that process. And I felt that given our culture, given um, you know, our journey, our DNI journey, and this being uh, you know, a new effort within our strategy, that it was really the right way of uh, delineating that process of identifying leaders, appointing leaders, and then certainly as part of our BRG policy, they have. So we have a staggered term, and so it's a two-year term that they will serve. So we'll have the continuity from the vice, from the chair to the vice chair, and you know, more than likely the vice chair will become the chair, and then the secretary could either uh, move into the vice chair position, or certainly then we will be able to appoint someone else in those two other positions. But at least we'll have some continuity in each one of the groups. And then ultimately, we bring them monthly to talk about challenges that they're facing, next level practices that we know are working to cross-pollinate between the BRGs and also with our diversity councils as well. So we do a joint uh, monthly meeting. And then quarterly, we do a little bit of a deeper dive to do also some education. So we continue to enhance their skill sets, provide them with other tools and resources so they can be uh, better and more effective BRG leaders uh, in the long run. So, so that's the process that we have delineated. And I feel that that's really something that has worked for us. And there's no, as you know, Joe, any right or wrong answer, but that's really what has worked for us at Freighter. And so we'll continue to use that and probably enhance that particular process and practice for us. Yeah, it's a pretty comprehensive process. Uh, let me ask you this. You mentioned the one-up, so the managers a couple of times. It yeah. sounds like you really engage them, which I think is important because a lot of times what happens is you end up having, I guess, in, in the absence of any explanation as to what their team member is doing or having a little more clarity right. or involvement, right. they, they sometimes don't really know how this brings value to their, to their particular department or, or operation. So talk a little more about that because I think that's interesting. I think that's an area that's often ignored, and that's probably a, a good area to explore. Yeah, I think overall, right, it's what we call the frozen middle, right? And I think uh, this is the greatest example of how you can start at, at a minimum thawing that uh, middle, middle management there or engaging them authentically. And so what we have done, even when we were um, asked by our CEO, who was really the executive sponsor for our BRGs, quite frankly, she wanted to have uh, a BRG strategy in place. She said, let's create a policy. And then one of the things that I understood that was critical was really to engage that middle management group. And so what we did is we conducted a number of focus groups. Ultimately, we brought in a number of um, influential middle management uh, leaders within Freighter. And we engaged them authentically and said, you know, here's a framework. Um, here's the policy. What are your thoughts, right? Tell us what we have missed, right? from your perspective, what are things that are critical for us to build here, right? And to also give you some latitude, because certainly if you end up with a particular BRG leader, we don't want this to be also uh, one directional, right? Where it only benefits the BRG leader. You also have to have some say so. So for example, we were able, as part of those conversations, um, also arrive at a negotiation with our middle management that they, you know, especially in the clinical areas where we were not either right size or had right um, the uh, team completely, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a team that could certainly provide uh, the day-to-day, uh, -day, right, or the bedside uh, um, services there, that if they were actually short in staff, that they could reserve the right to say to a particular BRG member or leader, you know what, given today's census, you might not be able to go to that meeting, right? Because ultimately, what is the mission of the organization it's to serve our patients? And we know that that trumps anything else. And so we're able to negotiate those things. Or if you have two leaders there that are serving in, in, uh, in the BRGs, maybe one of them can then come to the meeting, right, and then report back uh, to the other or to that team. And so those were the type of discussions that we had. And I think because we, A, involved them in the, uh, you know, in the genesis of the, of, of the BRG policy, of the creation of that policy, and they knew that they were being heard and that their thoughts were valued and then incorporated furthermore into the policy, it has gone well. And then we actually took the tour even before it was actually adopted by the uh, corporate 
uh, policy committee, we took it on the road to just for one more fine tuning uh, effort. And then, you know, a couple of other people gave us some insights. And then ultimately we took that uh, final draft to the committee, which then was approved and now implemented, right? So I feel that that was something that, again, I, I, we did here at Freighter that I have not necessarily done in other systems. You know, most people, I, I think in my previous lives, if you would have said, well, what is really, you know, do you have a policy? No, but here's what we're doing, right? We have a kind of a process and a practice. Here we were extremely thoughtful about having a policy. And I think that that became, an, uh, you know, really part of our game changer. Uh, but also the fact that we were able to engage authentically and proactively our middle management. And it has led to, to a much, um, you know, better uh, policy that now not only uh, protects uh, middle management, but also uh, allows the BRG leaders to uh, lead the efforts to be engaged and also gives them some protections too in terms of their time being valued and protected uh, as part of our policy as well. So it became a win-win all around it. That's a huge value add because you're removing a lot of obstacles, really, when you, right. when you engage people in those discussions. They're part of building it, so they, they, they have clarity in terms of what their team member is doing. And that's right. good for the team member, too, because they don't have to explain, well, this is what I do in the BRG and so forth, because it's, right. it's already been done and they've been part of it. Let, let me and ask, they become ambassadors as well, Joe, as you know. So now they have some skin in the game. Yes. So they're the ones now who we ask, to go back to their respective entities and present the BRG policies. I was there, but I always brought in one of those middle management uh, individual leaders to come and co-present the policy with me. And for the, you know, for the vast majority of the folks now would actually challenge me because nice they were hearing from one of their peers. And I felt that that was also another, um, you know, key factor in people understanding the policy and now embracing the policy and now allowing their BRGs. And I think it's why we have so many staff members participating and uh, taking leadership roles within our BRGs. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you get people who are the peers involved in actually uh, being ambassadors and talking about this. You're, you're, it's going to be a lot more powerful than if someone from the DNI side, HR, or any other part of the organization is talking about it because that's somebody who's actually uh, a leader in the organization, manages a group, and they're, and they're, and they're supporting it. That's fantastic. So let's take a break here to see where we are. So far, we've learned that successful groups are strategic as well as tactical. They also serve as their company's ambassadors inside and outside the organization. In addition to this, they are what I call pulse keepers that ensure that their organizations stay tuned to their evolving diverse markets. Finally, we also explored the critical role the managers of ERG, BRG leaders play in ensuring the success of these groups and how we can go about engaging and enrolling them as supporters. Up next, we'll look at how ERGs are kept aligned to the business as well as how ERGs are helping the business to reimagine itself. We'll also look at some cutting edge approaches for including remote workers as full participating members in ERG groups. All this and more when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Freudert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and MassMutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. So let me let me ask you this then. Going back to the BRG, the uh, BRG, uh, BRGs themselves. Mm-hmm. The in terms of the focus areas they have, you mentioned about some of the groups, the uh, LGBTQA group, and some of the others and some of the areas that they focused on. How do they go about picking the areas that they focus on? Because I think you're providing guidelines and you're providing a lot of support. You're providing education. It's, you're sort of putting a lot of input into, into these groups and, yep. and, and a lot of thoughtfulness around how you pick the leaders and how you yep. position them with their managers. But then within the group itself, there are some elements that must happen that, that led that one group to pick that area, another group to pick prob- probably another area and so forth. What are some of those dynamics? How does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the, what, you know, again, part of the process and practice that we have enhanced here um, 
at Freighter, which I think it's part of that secret sauce. So once a year, we bring them together. And actually, that, that meeting is coming up in early July, where our CEO will kick off things. We'll thank the BRGs for their participation. The, you know, and this is actually a group of, you know, the DAT, which are their diversity council leads are there. Uh, the BRG leaders are there. Their executive sponsors are there. So it's a group of about 25 to 30 individuals in the room. And so she would actually address them. She will talk a little bit about, you know, what we have accomplished, where we're headed, and really thanking them for the work. She actually will stay for their report out, for their annual report out, which is, I think, um, something that the groups really enjoy and they cherish. And they, you know, and ultimately, right, they get the sense that, you know what, my CEO cares. And so she was here. She addressed us. She talked about why this is important, right, as part of our uh, overall strategic efforts and the value that we bring, right, to the organization. So that is something that we do, and then um, I will actually put things in perspective in terms of the DNI strategy. But before I do that, we have our VP of Strategic Planning and Performance Measurement that presents the overall strategy of where we're headed this year as an organization, right? And then I I layer in our DNI imperatives that support the overall organizational efforts, and then at that point then the BRGs with, in partnership with their executive sponsors, they actually then huddle and they will talk about, you know, based on what we have heard, right, and data that has been presented from a workforce, workplace, marketplace, right? And what we do is we actually present on the five organizational goals. So we talked about consumer-guided experience. We talked about exceptional care, about business transformation, extraordinary people, and market leadership. Those are our five goals. And so then they're able to get a sense of where we're headed and based on the data that also is, is obviously aligned. So there's a little bit of pre-work that we do behind the scenes, the VP of strategic planning and, and myself or my team uh, to start connecting some of those dots. Based on that, we position certain things. So we provide them, again, some guardrails, but we present enough, right, where we give them some latitude and, and autonomy for them then to select and say, you know what? Based on what we heard, certainly all three of us should be working right on, on, on our extraordinary people and our people strategy. And the two goals that we make non-negotiable for them is they should always select something around our workforce or, and workplace or on our extraordinary people strategy and something uh, on the exceptional care or market leadership that really speaks to our clinical platform and or external efforts, right? So they're able to select at least two two of those goals, and then there might be a third one that they could select, but honestly, less is more. For us, it's, let's actually uh, select one or two key things that the organization is working on that we know that we have some you know, potential opportunity, right, because there's been issues that have already been uncovered uh, through the pre-work exercise, and then the BRGs then become catalytic on mapping out what their engagement, right, and their value-added approach will be, and that's then what they use as the basis for the formulation of their work plan, uh, Joe. And then ultimately, that gets vetted there. They refine that offline with their executive sponsor, and then that actually sent to the oversight committee that I spoke about earlier. We uh, then give them the green light, and then ultimately we take it to the diversity council. So our CEO and COO, who co-chair that, with the CFO who's actually sitting there, the CHRO, uh, the chief medical officer, so a group of other um, you know, top leaders who comprise that diversity council ultimately then review the plans and say, yep, that's exactly what they should be working on. And again, because our CEO was in the room, she knows what they have been working. So she can obviously in real time provide some assistance or really some insights on what they should be uh, considering. Then we get the uh, final approval and then we then do the uh, financial allocation to their work plans. So that's ultimately what we do to make sure, and then throughout the year, again, we bring them monthly and then quarterly is where we take the deeper dive. And at every single point, their checkpoint, we're making sure that we're touching bases with them around their goals and their performance. Are you guys having any issues? Is there anything that you need from us, right? And the and their executive sponsors are in those calls as well. So either the BRG leaders are bringing it up or the executive sponsor might ask for some clarification, some, for some guidance or support, or they're reporting on the great work that they're doing. And I feel that that um, level of rigor and process and thoughtfulness has been crucial for us to be able to, you know, within a year right now, you know, and I talked about earlier the impact that these BRGs have had. 
it is within a year of their launch that they've been able to add this much value. So imagine as they continue to mature, the great value added, uh, right, or business intelligence that they will bring back to the organization. So it's really a phenomenal process. It's labor intensive on our end, but I think it's really the right um, um, level of support that they need and certainly a great opportunity and, and, and time spent, uh, quality time spent with our BRG leaders. You know, as I'm listening to you, it never ceases to surprise me when I hear about well-run BRG groups. It reminds me a lot of when organizations put together business improvement projects for people that are considered high potential in order for them to cut their teeth and develop their management skills, develop their leadership skills. And as you were talking about this in terms of all the input that goes into it and the opportunity that they have to absorb all of that, huddle together and say, based on the resources we have, based on the kind of group we are, and based on what the needs of the organization are, where do we go? What do we propose to do? That is such a, that's such a great leadership development exercise. And do you see that in your organization as being a leader of a VRG? It's almost like being in an experiential leadership development program for future leaders. Absolutely, Joe. And that's what we equated to. You know, they're getting experiential um, opportunity to exercise, right, their, their skill sets there, their competency, you know, enhance their competencies. And really, I mean, the BRG, the way that we delineate that and we equate that uh, during our meeting, especially when we're onboarding a new leader, is think about this as your own uh, unit, right, business unit or, or, or project, right, uh, that you're running. So it is not any different than how we would actually ask for a business plan as we're thinking about launching a new service line or health center. Uh, within our, our our system. And so it's allowing them to um, gain some strategic thinking skills, uh, enhance their competencies, learn how to actually uh, read uh, a budget, how to manage a budget, right? The PNL that is so critical for a leader over time. And so we're really, I mean, that's what we're doing in essence through the BRGs. Uh, and so, it, you know, it's an experiential opportunity, but that's uh, you know, the type of leadership development uh, and competencies that they're acquiring through this process. And so ultimately, they will be able to, you know, show uh, the impact that it has. And also, you know, all those skills that they have learned and competencies are transferable to any other part of the business. Yep. So that's really how we have been able to position them. So you're absolutely right. That's how we use our BRGs and why we have aligned our BRGs to the talent management strategy and ultimately to succession planning. Because we know that that's, uh, honestly, actually, many of them are getting greater experiential opportunities um, than even our traditional leadership development programs. So this is really, truly a great opportunity for, um, you know, either emerging or, uh, you know, the future leaders of the organization. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It does. It sounds like a very dynamic uh, experiential program. So let me ask you this. Let me put you in a setting. And then ask you a question within that setting. Suppose you were sitting right now in a conference room. And in that conference room, you had 20 people around the table who were all just about at the point they were thinking of becoming BRG leaders. And the question they put to you is, what are some of the no-nos? What are some of the things that as a BRG leader, I should avoid if I want to be successful? What would you tell them are maybe the top three, four things that they should really be careful with that might be pitfalls that they need to avoid in order to be successful? Yeah. So one that I provided earlier, the fun foot and flags, right? I always start there. You know, you right. got to align efforts to strategy. Um, the other piece is these are not um, staff forums to uh, ventilate issues, right? Or, or become a breeding grounds for issues, right, that HR should be, right, our employee relations area should be handling. And so I oftentimes use the uh, term that, you know, stay in your swimming lane. You have to know what the BRGs are for, and so you have to stay focused on that and not deviate from that. And oftentimes, you know, I, I've seen that that's one of the key issues when BRGs start wandering down a particular path that is not something that they should be dabbling into, right, or getting involved with. Um, the other piece, and I know it's a hot topic, um, and I'll be very honest with you, while the BRGs should be guiding and providing some insights around some of the community unrest and issues that occur, right, and how that impacts 
that particular dimension or the entire workforce, uh, we have been very clear. We have provided parameters that BRGs are not allowed to go rogue and do their own thing, right? And start communicating, you know, a position, right, against whether something that federally is coming down the pike or something that happened here in the state or even locally. And so we have created a whole algorithm around responding uh, promptly to that kind of a rapid response. And I know that you and I have spoken about kind of the model that we've created here. Uh, you know, and we do engage them in that process and in dialogue, right? And we want them to provide some insight or, or thoughts around what we're formulating as a potential position and message, but we don't want them to actually go out and do that themselves. Because certainly it could really lead to other, you know, uh, interesting dynamics or issues for us, complicating yep. matters for us. And then the other piece that I, we are very clear is they are not, uh, you know, we have a no solicitation policy at Fred. It's actually interesting because sometimes I think, and it comes from really good intentions most of the time where they want to get involved right with a particular cause and do certain things. And what we have said is, listen, we already have certain vehicles through our community engagement uh, efforts and or our United Way campaign where the BRGs could be part of that formula, right? I mean, they should be, again, embedded there. And so, for example, this year, our BRGs are going to be participating and doing kind of a friendly challenge with one another about who actually uh, will fundraise the most for United Way, for the, for the campaign, right? But it's all now based and aligned to a cause and effort that, again, we're committed to. So they're not duplicating efforts. They're not going, to, uh, you know, by themselves, right, or on their own to do their own thing. It's all predicated on alignment with our key priorities, right, from an anchoring institution, from a corporate social responsibility standpoint. And so those are things that I oftentimes delineate uh, for the BRGs that that's critical. And then the last piece is that, you know, uh, that the BRGs, that the members have an equal voice, that while there's leaders in the group, right, for to guide the groups, that it's not, this is not an anarchy. Uh, they need to engage authentically the groups, right? Like we do. I mean, as we're hoping to do as an organization. They need to be a, a microcosm of that larger, right, uh, of the larger um, organization. And so we're very careful in terms of who we select and when we start seeing that things might not be going in the right um, manner, that's where we intervene. And so we certainly um, are there proactively to support and guide the groups, but we give them a lot of latitude on the things that they're going to be able to work on. But those are some of the no-nos that we oftentimes will delineate for the BRGs. And again, if someone feels that this is not something that um, certainly they can abide by, then certainly those, those are conversations that we need to have because then this might not be the right group for you, um, you know, at this point, right, of your career or at all. And we, we, we have those crucial, again, we have that built into the policy that either performance-based or something else that you do within the group that might be considered egregious enough where we can actually ask you to step down or your manager can come in and say, you know what, this is happening from a performance standpoint. I might need that individual to step down from the BRG for now and maybe reconsider later on. So those are things that we have been very thoughtful about in terms of building into, um, into our uh, efforts. I think you gave me five different things. And I think the five different things can probably go under the label of BRG leaders don't go rogue. <laughs> That's right. They shouldn't go rogue. Don't Absolutely. go rogue, right? It's a great they point. Can. It's a great point. And it does happen sometimes. Uh, I've seen that happen. It happens pretty much inadvertently sometimes. Just people get passionate in a certain direction or they yeah. feel that something should be done and they kind of step out in that direction. But uh, right. those are all great, great points. So let me, uh, let, me, let, me, let me take you into a different place now, sort of like looking at the future. Uh, you know, I know we've had a lot of discussions about the fact that the world of yeah. work is changing dramatically. Um, yeah. Organizations are hiring more and more uh, temps uh, and 1099 workers. And BRGs are designed to a great degree as a means of involving the organization's workforce in a, in a very productive way and to create greater inclusivity while they're doing it and so forth. Uh, how do you guys address that or is that an issue at all in your organization where you have like you know people that are temps 1099s and so forth who are becoming a larger part of the workforce uh and if that's the case how, how do you how do you address that uh in terms of either including them or somehow getting them involved you know with 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 these efforts in a way that that works for you guys 
Yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good question. And what I will say is just based on how we're structured, uh, Joe, and we have um, floating pools of nurses and other uh, you know clinicians and actually business folks. We really don't have a lot of temps or contractors within the organization. Um, so that's more, that's a um, minimal issue for us uh, in terms of dealing with. Actually, the larger issue for us is really people, right, working remotely these days and how to engage them, right, authentically into the efforts. And so what we have done is really leverage technology. So we leverage our platforms. People are able to participate, right, and Skype in and, and or virtually connect, calling in into our meetings. All of our events, signature events, we tend to record those and then we upload them in our internet. So folks can, are able then to watch them later on. Um, and so we're, we're being very mindful and meaningful about that. And I will say that given where healthcare is going, right? I mean, we're already leveraging technology, AI, artificial intelligence, whether it is in terms of the algorithms that we have using IBM Watson, um, you know, we have a whole innovation arm that we call um, Inception Health at uh, Freighter. We have our chief innovation officer. One of the things that we have done is really now involve our BRGs around that because there's certainly we might not have, right, we might not be tapping into the right communities, right, to engage authentically our community to participate in some of those uh, pilots that we have, right, those, the research uh, efforts that we have and or really as we're formulating some of those uh, or co-creating some of those efforts, really understanding what's going to be, what has been historically, right, the, uh, the uh, gap or the equity uh, inequities there and how do we actually address that, right, from an equity standpoint. So the BRGs are uh, certainly involved in a lot of our equity discussions, uh, you know, because certainly we know the history, right, with when you think about the Tuskegee experiment, yes. whether you think yep. about the, you know, the things that have happened historically, in our community. So there's a lot of mistrust in many of our diverse communities. And I think that the BRGs are coming in and that's really the value added there where they're saying, well, listen, remember that in this particular community, that might not actually go well, or we need to still do some, um, you know, build some trust or let's actually work with this particular individual gatekeeper or organization, because we know that they, uh, you know, will allow us, right. Or will bring some credibility to our efforts and maybe become that seal of approval uh, within the community, um, you know, and, and certainly right now, even with a, because of unconscious bias, right, and the algorithms of the IA, we're starting to push back. And that's where the BRGs are coming in and even our Office of Diversity and saying, help us understand what has been formulated, what's the algorithm, who built it, have we gone back to that partner, right, to challenge some of those biases, and if not, let's actually go back to them and tell them that they have to rethink this strategy because that's not going to work in diverse communities. So that's, you know, a lot of the new work that our BRGs are really working. So they're helping us to reimagine uh, the future, right? We have a, a number of roles that I don't think any one of us could say that we know what those roles will do, will be, right, or how this work will evolve over time. But certainly I think that the BRGs are getting involved with a lot of efforts that over time as that continues to, to uh, be the driving force and the discussion within the organization, they will be poised to add value there and help us to re-engineer re who we will be and what their roles will be in the near future for that matter. That's pretty exciting stuff. That was interesting. That was my next question was going to be about the, uh, about the AI piece because there's been so much talk about how AI is being used more and more by organizations in order right. to help automate certain types of decision-making. And, and clearly, AI is built by people, and depending on who the people are that built it and the assumptions that they build into it, right. uh, you know, organizations may accidentally, without realizing it, automate a bias and, and make it part of a machine uh, so that it's, it's automatically happening in the background. So, so I love to hear that they're yeah. getting involved with that because that's really important. You know, yes. there's something I Can want I to go back. Can I give you an example? Just yeah, sure, go ahead. Then I want you to go back on something you said yep. before, but go sure, ahead. Sure. So, so for example, with the um, LGBT community, um, if, for prime example, so we're reinstalling Epic, which is our electronic medical record. And one of the new functionalities that we will have is being able to ask your sexual orientation and gender identity, which is great. You know, at the end of the day, now we're capturing that data, right? And we're going to be able to stratify the data and see, are we, right, being equitable in terms of the access and care 
that our LGBTQ community, Q plus community, is receiving. Now, the piece that we never thought about originally, and I went back to our chief medical officer and our CIO, chief um, information officer, was that I said, all right, so we're going to be optimizing that. And have we thought about the training? Have you engaged our LGBTQ plus uh, BRG to talk about that? Luckily, the person, one of the individuals in clinical informatics that is working on the optimization of those particular fields happens to be the vice chair of the LGBTQ+. And so I had reached out to her in real time and I said, hey, Jen, are you involved in this effort? And if so, have you had any discussions with your one-up? And he said, Andres, try to um, manage that up. Unfortunately, I haven't gone anywhere. I said, all right, so I'm going to give you an audience uh, in a day or so. Stand, stand ready. So we were able to do that. We're able to that we were actually very thoughtful about creating the education because again, we're gonna do an optimization and we're gonna put no clinicians and maybe even some of our receptionists to start asking questions that A, they might not know how to do it, right? It's really uncomfortable and, and we get it. I mean, we all get it. It this is part of our new journey, right? And how do you ask those questions appropriately with a lot of dignity and respect, which is one of our values, um, and really provide those speaking points, right? And the why behind it to those individuals. So that has been part of the work now. So what we decided to do ultimately based on that discussion, as we uncovered that we were not ready for that optimization, we have delayed that part of the optimization to a later go live date, just to ensure that we're doing the proper education um, and, and that everyone will be equipped before we go live, right, with that functionality. So that's a prime example of things that we're doing that, you know, uh, the other one quickly here is telehealth. We're, we have a, a really great platform, and so I go back to one of our uh, chief medical officers and our chief innovation officer, and I ask the question, so have you thought about how we're gonna be uh, providing that culturally and linguistically uh, responsively uh, to our community here? And they looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I said, well, when you encounter the first limited English proficient patient, what capabilities are we going to use? And they look at each other like, oh, wow, we didn't think about that. All right, so we're not ready to go then live with our telehealth platform until we figure that out, right? So now we engage our language services director who reports into my function to talk about that and what is going to be that algorithm, right, and capabilities that we're going to have, whether Skyping in one of our interpreters or using telephonic interpretation, right, depending on the acuity of that patient and need to ensure, right, that we're providing that quality care. Uh, but those are things that you would think that are common sense, but we still miss them, right, along the way. So those are prime examples of things that we're doing and, and that we're getting actually involved with. So it's exciting because we touched the entire strategy at Freighter. Yeah, I can see that. That's, that's, that really is very exciting. You know what I wanted to take you back to yep. was when you were talking about having a very distributed workforce, people that telecommute or work from home and so forth. And you mentioned about making your BRG meetings and activities accessible to them. I think that's really important because that's becoming, that's becoming a bigger, bigger thing where people are pretty much telecommuting or they're working from remote locations. And yet at the same time, the organization wants to make sure that when we open up these BRG communities and we're leveraging them, that we're including everybody. There might be somebody out there who has a brilliant idea. They just happen not to come to the office right. on a regular basis. So I'd love you to give a couple of examples of how you do that. I think you threw out a couple of things really quickly, like Skype, and, uh, and, and I think you mentioned something else escapes me right now, but I'd love for you to take like maybe one, two or three, if you have of those and give an example, here's a meeting and here's how we do it in such a way, right. this meeting or this presentation or this event, uh, so that, so that people who are remote and not available to go right. to particular office can engage in it. And I, I think you right. also mentioned taping them, which is really great, yeah. but so we some other so, examples. Absolutely. So things that we do, for example, for the regular uh, BRG meetings, those are actually recorded. Um, all of those, um, you know, meetings are recorded. And then we upload that on our internet. Actually, each one of our BRGs have their landing page within the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. So uh, any member will be able to go there later on, click on it, and actually everything is recorded um, from that perspective. When we also do our events, we do two things. Number one is we actually stream, uh, we're streaming the event in real time. So if you're at a different facility, right, and you didn't have the ability to attend, we're streaming that. So you can be at a PC, you can go to a conference room, 
and you can be participating remotely. Uh, so you're Skyping in, right, into the event. The other piece that we're using effectively as well, Joe, and it has been one of the best applications for us to use is Workplace, which is actually um, a uh, application created by Facebook, but for the workplace, right? And hence why the name Workplace. And so now that's actually a way for us to communicate, for us to be able to upload videos, to streamline through that platform as well. So Workplace also we use to stream in real time our efforts as well. Uh, and it's actually a great tool. We have actually over 85% of our 13,000 plus employees already in Workplace. And it's becoming more and more the way in which we're communicating in real time, right, with everyone. And it's actually, you know, it's similar to Facebook. Uh, and it has a lot of other, a ton of other functionalities that especially for millennials and Zers, they love. And we're all, everyone else is actually adapting to it. So, so it's been really great uh, for all of us. But I'm able to communicate effectively with my own team. So I have my own, um, you know, secured page for my team, how we communicate in real time. And then I can communicate with the rest of the organization through some of the other, um, you know, groups that we have created through Workplace. So it's actually a phenomenal way of keeping everyone right up to date in real time or to communicate something, right? If we have, for example, something, you know, joint commission shows up or, you know, unfortunately these days, right, you have an active shooter situation. We're able to communicate effectively right away and people will know that, you know what, we need to actually go and, uh, you know, keep ourselves safe, right? So, so it's a really neat way of communicating effectively uh, in real time. So that's what we're doing. So those are some of the things or means that we're using right now to make sure that, A, we're inclusive, but B, that we're taking into consideration, you know, the realities, right, of, of um, you know, of our workforce. You know, whether you're working remotely or whether you might be in one of our facilities but cannot get away uh, for whatever the reasons. And so I think more and more uh, that's really the way in which uh, we're going to have to think about, you know, keeping people involved and engaged and communicating with them. And so we're certainly uh, trying to keep up with that and, and be a great employer of choice from that perspective. That's excellent. That's great stuff. So just in, you know, just a final question for you, and that is, you've learned a lot of lessons. Clearly, this is not your first rodeo. You've done this a couple of times and you've worked with a lot of different groups like this. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned that you would share with BRG leaders in terms of being successful? Um, again, I think it goes back to some of the things that I mentioned earlier, uh, which is, you know, you got to ensure that these efforts are aligned to strategy. Um, that, you know, you're keeping um, a student mentality, right, that you're learning along the way. And, uh, you know, when, when there's mistakes that happen, we're all going to make mistakes to be able to be open to that feedback uh, as leaders, right? We're all in, in our own journeys from that perspective. And ultimately, to understand that while they have been selected in these roles, right? And so we need them to manage things appropriately, to be thoughtful about how they're engaging their BRGs and ultimately ensuring that they're working on ultimately will equate to organizational impact and to added value. Because if not, you know, it makes it hard for us then to go back to uh, our CEO or to our diversity council to ask for funding, right, for these efforts and for the overall strategy. So those are some of the things that I oftentimes will tell folks, you know, and, and more importantly, perhaps at an individual basis, and I think that this is the tug of war sometimes for folks is like, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I want to do these things, but I also want to, you know, make sure that the organization understands the skill sets, right? And that I'm committed because I ultimately want to advance. And what I have actually learned from my own journey is that if you worry uh, too much about you being, a, you know, the star and everything about you, unfortunately, people are going to quickly read through that, right? And you're going to become an ineffective leader. No one wants to work with you. What I found out is that when you actually become altruistic, and you're working towards a common goal and efforts, right, and adding value to the organization, people will be able to see, uh, you know, what you have to offer. That serving leader model goes a long way, and it has been part of that secret sauce for how I've been promoted and tapped for other roles within my own organization or for the BRG leaders. And we're even seeing it right now where we have two particular ERG leaders uh, within our BRGs right now that are being uh, considered for other uh, roles, uh, you know, leadership roles within the organization. So it's, you know, it's certainly, you still can get your own, um, I think, goals fulfilled or met, but you also have to be altruistic, right? And think about 
the organization and I'm here to serve and what is the mission of the group and how do I engage others? And when you do that uh, authentically and you do it uh, for the right reasons, I think you can still get your own uh, goals met. And I think that that's uh, an important, um, I think, lesson that I've learned along the way that I like to share with a lot of our BRG leaders. If not, things could implode fairly quickly here. Andres, that's a great point to close on. I think that's a great lesson, the whole idea of being a servant leader. I love that. Andres, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate these comments. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of uh, great inspiration as well as ideas out of this conversation. Thank you for the partnership and for the friendship as well. I really value that as well. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Andres. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.